Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Well, good morning. Um, like I said, these are our friends Tachi and Wellington, and many of you, I, in fact, I almost want to ask for a show of hands, how many of you have been down to Brazil on one of the teams that we've taken in the past several years. I, I've been shocked as we've walked around um, the church over the last few weeks, knowing that they're here. There's just so many of us that, that have relationships with them, and so I, I love when they get to visit. And they've spent a lot of time here in the past. They work with our ministry partner, Restoration Ministries, which works in Sao Paulo, Brazil, um, in the favelas with many of the children and families that, that live in the slum areas in the city. And I love that Wellington shared that song with us in particular because um, – it, it just kind of defines the message that they give the kids and the families, the communities of the favelas, that, um, yes, things might be hard, and, and there's a lot of just really difficult things that they walk into in the lives of these people, um, but with Jesus, they can make it. And, and I just love that that's, that's the message that they uh, continue to share in, in those places. So, anyway, they're here visiting us today because there's some exciting things going on in the life of these two in particular and their family. You can see their whole family on the screens up there, their kids. Um, so would you guys share a little bit about what's, what's coming up for you and how it all kind of came to be? You're thinking of moving locations. It's hard to speak in English, guys. I sing in English, but when I talk in English, <laughs> yeah, we we serve in Brazil with the communities, but we now have a big change coming. We are moving to Mozambique Island in the Africa to work with Makua Nahara peoples. There, the local language is Portuguese. We have a missionary friend called Ken Flory. And he's the connection. He shared with, with our staff. He's retired. He, he worked a couple months in Brazil and a couple months in Africa. And he came when we were sharing, are hearing, but I just looking around and say, God, we have a lot of young people here. I know you talk very strongly about, but it's not for me. We have a lot here running. And the second year when he came, he just sharing, and I'm here. I just start looking at the eyes, the people around, say, no one are hearing what I hear here. I hear and, and my a voice and I'm going to Mozambique. I'm going to Mozambique. When I back home, I say, Tachi, please sit. We need to talk. <laughs> Look in my eyes. <laughs> and I just say to her, Tachi, we are going to Mozambique. And she surprised me because she looked in my eyes and say, How do you know? I say, Because God speaks in my heart. I hear it clearly. And she said, Okay, but it's a blessing we're going to have to say, okay, have a lot in the middle of this. But it's, it's the same Saturday. I just, when I came to talk with Ken, he just started crying. And he said, we expected for that. And I said, what? You, you never told me nothing for years. When we talked with the missionary and the few, he just, in Mozambique, he just said the same through Skype. We are praying specifically for you guys for years. And we, we shock and say, wow. Okay, here we are, God. <laughs> Very cool. So will you describe a little bit of what the ministry in Mozambique is and who are the people that you're working with? So we're going to, we went there uh, last year for a vision trip and we fell in love even, even more. And there is an island, it's a two mile long, it's off of Mozambique coast, and it's connected through the mainland uh, through a bridge, one lane bridge. There is three spots that you have to reverse if something is coming. And so it's three miles long, very wild uh, island. The people who live there, it's Makua Nahara, they're fishermen. And they are Muslims. There's a lot of Hindu also influence and witchcraft, which is rooted in uh, Africa culture. They were colonized by Portugal. 
the Arabics when they're first. So there's three mosques in the island. So that's why they're Muslims. And they're very uh, particular people in North Mozambique, unreached. There is no churches in their language. So there is a missionary team there uh, starting uh, working with discipleship and then trying to uh, plant a church in their language, in their culture. The island, it's, uh, there is building from the 1600s that was the Portugal built years ago uh, in 1600. So it's one of the world sightings in UNESCO. Tourism is growing a lot in the island in the last 10 years. And the missionaries there, they have a boutique hotel and a restaurant, and they give jobs for the community, and then they uh, reach out to them, being their boss, teaching them everything from scratch, how to work, work ethics, and also discipling them, being a father. And then the other side of the island is the Makuchi village, where the, the locals live. They're very poor. They have meals once a day. And that's what their, what their village looked like. If we can fast forward, just some pictures of the restaurant. Uh, and then also there is a, a goat farming uh, to provide more jobs and to do more, more disciple making. And also a coffee, a coffee shop. And we will be joining the team and then we will help them with disciple making and reach them to Jesus Christ. And very cool. And and if you didn't catch that, <clears throat> excuse me, the the connection that is just really profound is the language. Like they can come in as um as native Portu- Portuguese speakers and of course it's a little bit different, but they will have that connection right away which will be such a blessing, I'm sure. So, um in what ways can we as Oak Hills be a part of what God is doing in this whole transition for you in this journey and yeah, how can we be a part of it? First of all, prayers, we are transitioning. Our goal, if everything works out and if we get everything we need, is to be moving there this coming October. Also pray for restoration ministry as we are leaving. You know, they will have needs for more people. Uh, pray for our families and health and for God open and soften the heart of those Muslim people that we are going to work with. Um, and then this coming Wednesday, there's an open house. If you want to just interact with these guys a little bit more, hear a little bit more of the story and some, you know, have questions for them, you can either stop at the booth in the back, or I'm um, sorry, in the lobby, um, and, and talk with them there. Sign up for their emails, you know, just so you can kind of keep up with what's going on with them, and then for sure come to that open house on Wednesday. Am I missing anything? Okay. Um, well, I'm going to pray for, for them and their family, and I'd love for you to join with me in that. Father, I thank you so much for Tachi, for Wellington, for, um, for their family, um, for the way that you have been working so evidently in their lives and in their stories for, um, for so long, Father. You have, you have walked with them through every stage of life. And, Father, we trust that this stage is no different, that just as clearly as you are calling them, that you will clearly show up and provide and sustain them through this transition. And, um, and same with the ministry. We do pray for restoration ministries for the huge holes that these two um, precious staff members will leave and know that you have been already bringing up others to step into some of those places, but pray that all of that would go well, that, um, that your glory would be um, sought after first and foremost by all involved. And, um, Father, so we pray for these, these guys as they continue their time here in the, the U.S. and um, communicate with all their supporters and um, continue to build their team for this new ministry. I just pray that you would be with them in all of those details, providing health and provision and goodness. And we just thank you so much for your love, for your grace, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are reading today from Genesis 50, says 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong things we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. 
I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide you for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, we're in week three of our Eastertide series. Stephanie just mentioned that our hope in this time is to uh, celebrate and to continue to think about ways we can celebrate through various seasons of life. And it is fitting today, as we've heard from Tachi and Wellington and their uh, new adventure they're about to begin, this whole idea of reconciliation is what we're talking about today. Reconciliation, certainly with God, reconciliation most especially today with others in the different experiences and fractures that we have in our relationships. And there is absolutely nothing more powerful, more profound, and more worthy of celebration than when two people who have been alienated by conflict or by disagreement walk into the conflict or the disagreement and begin to work through it and begin to reconcile. Or when someone feels far from God and they start to miss him, if you will, and they start trying to find their way back to him. And the Spirit of God orchestrates their homecoming often over a long period of time. But in time, there is yet another powerful and profound reconciliation story. It could be as simple as two children having a play date and they start bickering over a toy and they take a few swipes at each other and they call each other babies and then they run off to their respective parents crying, but soon they're wiping their tears on their sleeves, they're hugging their enemies from a moment ago, and they're resuming their playtime, the power of a reconciliation story. It could be a husband and wife divided by years of growing tension and unresolved conflict who finally hit the wall. They finally face reality, and they start stepping into the mess instead of pretending it doesn't exist or hoping somehow it will go away on its own. And God begins to slowly bring healing and slowly resurrect hope. Reconciliation with God and with other people is a reason to celebrate, and it is a reason in a league of its own. The topic of reconciliation is not just another thing to kick around for a few minutes on a Sunday morning, because this is one of the core pillars of the Christian faith. And if you have been around Oak Hills for a while, then you have heard our emphasis on this issue of reconciliation for several years. Reconciliation is crucial because fractured relationships affect every single one of us in some way. It is crucial because genuine followers of Jesus, those who are actually his sons and daughters, they will pursue reconciliation in their relationships. Reconciliation is one of the signs of the presence and power of Jesus. And it is one of the indicators that he actually inhabits us and animates our lives. And reconciliation is crucial because, as we all know, we live in a fractured world. And as a local church, as a community, we have the opportunity to demonstrate the difference Jesus makes in real-life stuff such as conflict, discord, disagreement, and in the differences that we have with one another. A reconciling community embodies extreme grace and profound welcome to a hurting world. And in doing so, we demonstrate the goodness of the kingdom of Jesus to this fractured world. So today I want to talk about this idea of celebrating through reconciliation. And to begin, let's talk about the fact that reconciliation is typically a long painful journey. Joseph's story, and Stephanie read the end of it, but Joseph's story is different than some of the stories in the Bible, at least in my mind, because there is this unique rawness and 
unique realness in Joseph's story. He had a rather traumatic life. His brothers couldn't stand him. They were jealous of him. They were angry at him. And they rejected him outright. They wanted to kill him and get rid of him altogether. But eventually, they decided to sell him into slavery just so that they could be done with him. So Joseph's relationship with his own brothers was broken. And I don't imagine it requires too much imagination on our part to draw a straight line from Joseph's fractured family to a broken relationship in our own lives. Perhaps a broken or strained or fractured relationship with our own brother or sister or with a friend or with a parent or with an ex-spouse or with a current spouse. So Joseph ended up as a prisoner, ultimately, in Egypt. He ended up a slave. And he was doing life reasonably well under the circumstances until he was unjustly accused and convicted of attempted rape and sentenced to life in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So first, a broken family, and now a wrongful conviction with a life sentence. While in prison, once again, he was making the best of it, trying to follow God behind prison walls. And it looked like there was a chance for parole, but a friend forgot about him. And Joseph remained in prison for 13 long years for a crime he didn't commit. And his story, at least in some sense, is common, at least in this way. Fractures within families often start chain reactions that last decades. And no matter how reasonable or unreasonable the connection may be, we link the subsequent troubles of our lives to the original falling out with our families. And I've got to believe Joseph thought about these kinds of things during those long and lonely nights in his prison cell. And here's the nasty twist in this story. At least I find it particularly nasty. Joseph was a good man. Joseph loved God. He had a real and a vibrant faith in God. We would put it this way. Joseph followed God rather wholeheartedly, but his life didn't go the way he planned. And that, to me, is a nasty twist. His life was full of experiences, concrete, practical, you can name them, experiences that routinely cause people to become cynical and calloused and cold. His life was full of the kind of painful experiences that often drive people away from God. But through all of his troubles, Joseph's heart grew more tender toward God and more in tune with God's presence and activity in his life and in his circumstances. And this is a primary reason why, when the opportunity for reconciliation finally came, he was able to initiate it and pursue it. So put it this way. The disappointments and the darkness of his life deepened him. And you probably know this, but that is not always what happens when disappointment and darkness comes. Somehow, through all of his pain and disappointment, God's character grew in Joseph. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. That's real spiritual formation. You guys planned on eliminating me and harming me, but somehow God oversaw the whole thing and he intended it for good. That is real spiritual formation. Joseph accepted his situation and he found God in the midst of it. God was with him, not in a phony religious way. God was with him when his brothers rejected him. God was with him when he was sold as a slave. God was with him when he was unjustly tossed in prison. God was with him when he was forgotten. So Joseph experienced God's presence and power and grace in and through his long and deep valley of darkness. And the whole thing changed him. Now, that does not mean reconciliation with his brothers was easy. 
In Genesis chapter 42 to 50, there's nine chapters. Joseph reunites with his brothers. And the way the story goes is when he first saw them for the first time in a long time, he recognized them immediately, but they didn't recognize him because they thought he was far away as a slave somewhere. Eight times in these nine chapters, the Bible says Joseph went off by himself to weep. And I think this is an important piece of this reconciliation business. As is often the case, though we want the past to stay in the past, old wounds are often awakened by present-day experiences. And Joseph went off by himself to weep. And you know this, and so do I, in attempts to reconcile, in moves, however great or small, to reconcile fractures and brokenness in important relationships, old wounds will likely be awakened and we will spend our fair share of time weeping over what has happened. And so reconciliation is not easy. It's a long and painful journey and the way is often or at least sometimes marked by tears. Secondly, reconciliation, the desire for reconciliation and the pursuit of reconciliation is a sign of the kingdom of God. I was sitting at a gathering not long ago, and this five-year-old boy was making a compelling argument why he no longer needed a car seat. Well, I don't need a car seat anymore. And his mom or his aunt said, I didn't know these people, said, well, actually you do. No, I don't, because I'm 75 pounds now, whatever the number was. And the mom or aunt said, no, actually, you are like 55 pounds. And I couldn't resist, so I jumped in and said, you know, no one over 20 overstates their weight like that. So that has to be a young child. I mean, think about it. Inflating our weight is an infallible sign that someone is very young. No one does that. I'm 220 pounds. No, you're not. You're only 200. No, I'm not. I'm 220. Think about signs for a moment. Indicators. Signs of the very young. Indicators. Ah, they're young. Signs of spring. Things we see and smell. And just like that, ah, spring is upon us. Indicators of new seasons. Indicators of one's age. Tip-offs that infallibly reveal what something is or who someone is. Joseph's story is like our stories. It is raw, honest, real, and hard human stuff. It is strained relationships with siblings. It is painful memories from family relationships. It is a tough marriage. It is a lost friendship. And I know I am up against high and thick walls of cynicism and skepticism built over years of unfulfilled hopes and unmet longings. But Jesus can heal the discord and the fracture and the pain in us and between people. And my question for you to think about is, do you believe that? Do you believe that in the fractured relationship, however great it's fractured or small, that's in your head right now, that Jesus can actually heal the discord, heal the fracture, and heal the pain in you and in the relationship? He can resurrect something new and something better in us and in our relationships. Just like inflating the number on the scale is a sign of the very young and blooming flowers is a sign of spring, reconciliation, the hope for it, the belief in it, and the pursuit of it is a sign of Jesus' presence and power and kingdom breaking in to a situation. Reconciliation is a sign of God's kingdom. When broken relationships are slowly restored, when relational dysfunction is ever so gradually being healed, when disagreements are finally being discussed and processed, when conflicts are in the process of being resolved, when tensions 
are in the process of being relieved, when people who think and believe differently are starting to navigate their differences and move toward peace, when reconciliation is starting to emerge, however new and fresh it may be, it is a clear sign of Jesus' presence and power breaking in to a situation. So pursuing reconciliation is almost always a move toward the kingdom of God. Our scripture reading that Stephanie read is one of the most extraordinary passages in the whole Bible, at least in my view. After all these long and lonely years of pain and struggle and tears, Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers. And he says to his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. And his question is profound. I want us to think about it. Am I in the place of God? Do I have the right to punish? Do I have the right to withhold grace and wield the power of unforgiveness until my dying day? See, Joseph's willingness to reconcile revealed vividly the divine quality in his heart. God had cultivated a character in Joseph through his many trials and his willingness to move toward reconciliation demonstrated the character of Jesus in him. See, the core of identity is, of our identity as the people of God is that he reconciled us through Jesus. And we rehearse and we remember this every time we get together and we rehearse and we remember this every time we come to the communion table. And as Jesus' people, having experienced reconciliation, it follows that we would pursue reconciliation in our relationships in whatever small or big way we can. And it also follows that if we shut the door on reconciliation, if we have dug in our heels and we simply refuse to consider it or we refuse to move toward it, then we do not comprehend the depth of our own rebellion against God and the depth of his love and grace toward us. You see, there's an intimate connection between the condition of our inner lives, the state of our own hearts, and our relationships. Those things are intimately connected. In most cases, certainly not all, but in most cases, Christ being formed in us will compel us to seek reconciliation in our relationships. Move toward it. What does that mean? It could be as simple as a call, a conversation, an invitation, an opening of a door, a confession, something. If the presence and power of Jesus are actually animating our thoughts and our wills and our relationships and our actions, then we will pursue reconciliation. Jesus' people pursue reconciliation and forgiveness and healing in extreme and extravagant ways because they have received reconciliation from Jesus in extreme and in extravagant ways. And again, this isn't easy. Reconciliation is hard work. I am rather aware that right now, Real relationships, names of people, are in our minds. And when we think of reconciliation, whether they're alive or dead, for some of us we think, I can't see it. It would be so hard. And I get it. It's hard work. It is a way of tears. And it doesn't always turn out the way we want. We may pursue reconciliation, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. But the question is not, will it work? The question is, are we open to the spirit in those relationships where a fracture has divided us? 
Are we open to Jesus' presence in that situation? And are we willing to do our part in moving toward reconciliation inch by inch? So I want to talk for a minute about Julie and I. Because when I talk about this and when this topic comes up and when I think about reconciliation, I have to think about the fact that we've been married. It'll be 27 years this August. And our marriage, in little ways and in big ways, is one of these stories of reconciliation. And I simply cannot talk about this without my head flooding with the reality of what God has done in Julie's in my life. We've been talking a lot lately, she and I, about how we are wired and how our wiring works together or doesn't work together. And one reason why reconciliation, the whole topic, is so important to me is because I've seen it in my own life and marriage. And it's a reason for celebration. Now, this probably surprises you. But in the Julie and Mike thing, I'm the volatile one in our marriage. I know you're shocked by that. Just believe me, it's the case. And one of my lifelong traits in conflict with Julie is to walk away. I'm sure I'm alone in this. You know how it goes. Escalate, escalate, escalate. Fine. Walk away. And this is what Julie will say when I walk away. Don't walk away. Don't walk away. Don't walk away. And this also probably surprises you. But for some reason, the more she tells me not to walk away, the more I want to walk away. And we all know there are times when it's good to walk away. But a helpful and simple way of remembering that reconciliation is a sign of the kingdom is this phrase, Don't walk away. Don't walk away because Jesus' presence and power is on the move in the process of reconciliation. So when we walk away or when we ignore it or when we just refuse and feel justified doing so, we are stepping away from the kingdom, not toward it. And thirdly and lastly, As we think about reconciliation, realize that reconciliation is the power to set another free. Paul says in Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then he goes on and says, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. And then in Philippians 2, verse 5, Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, and then he goes on, took the very nature of a servant, and he goes on, humbled himself, and he goes on, and died on a cross. This is about power. So I want us to think about power for a moment. What is uncomfortably clear in these teachings from the Apostle Paul And it is uncomfortably clear in Joseph's story is that in a fractured and broken relationship, the one who has been harmed or hurt holds much of the power. And of course, there are exceptions. But the one who's been harmed, the one who's been hurt, has a lot of power in their hands. Joseph was the rejected one. He was the victim. So on paper, if we are lawyers in a courtroom applying common sense logic to the situation, Joseph had every right to dig in his heels and shake his head and punish his brothers. And when they showed up, he had every right to walk away because they wrecked his life. And the work of the Holy Spirit is evident in the fact that Joseph, the rejected and offended one, took the initiative, and made the first move toward reconciliation. If we are lawyers in a courtroom applying common sense logic, God was the offended one, the rejected one, and he had every right to walk away from us. But he took the initiative 
and he made the first move while we were his enemies. He made the first move toward reconciliation. And we got to let this soak in as we think about fractures in our own relationships. The one who was hurt took the initiative. The one who was in pain had the power. Joseph could have walked away and they never would have known. But he took the initiative and he moved toward reconciliation. See, following Jesus, forgive me, but following Jesus is just a benign religious phrase if we aren't willing to follow him up the steep and dangerous slopes. And following Jesus, forgive me, is empty. If he only goes where we feel comfortable going. Following Jesus in the context of reconciliation means we use the power we have as the hurt or harmed or offended to set others free. We move toward reconciliation. We initiate the overdue conversation. We walk toward the conflict or the fracture or the giant elephant in the room of our relationship. We take the initiative in whatever way we can to extend grace and forgiveness to those who have harmed us. We move into the conflict with the hope and the desire to set the other free. And it may not work. And of course, we have to be aware of enabling and getting sucked into the dysfunctional cycle of the relationship. And we may need help from those who understand these kinds of things and things like boundaries and enabling. But am I open to the Spirit's work in those relationships where I am the rejected and the harmed? Am I open to using the power I have to initiate reconciliation and to set the other free? I was recently in a situation where some things happened and all sorts of pain and disappointment from a past relationship resurfaced in me. Now, let me get this out of your head. It's not someone from the church. This person actually lives on Saturn, if you're trying to guess. But in any case, the fracture in this relationship refreshed in me about a month and a half ago. And for about these last month and a half to two months, I treasured this in my thoughts and sometimes in my conversations. Let me put it this way. I have reveled in the wrongness of the other to justify my choice to walk away and be distant. It is such subtle power. But make sure we realize it is power. It's a game I have played for years with this particular person. This was version 94.0 of the same game. The power is in my hands. Full reconciliation is probably not going to happen. The rubble of the past will not be cleared away with the snap of a finger. Any move I make most likely will be unreciprocated, and it will probably just be a small move within my own attitude and within my own soul, but the power is in my hands. And this is a confession. I love having this power. But in both attitude and action, loving to have this power is not the way of Jesus. And it is not following him. And I think the key to being willing to initiate reconciliation with other people is remembering what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Whenever I settle into unforgiveness or have a hard heart toward those who have harmed me, when I don't forgive as God has forgiven me, it is because I have forgotten the depths of my own darkness and the depths of my own sin and the depths of my own brokenness. And when I forget these things, I put myself in a category separate from those over here who fail and fall and hurt and harm others. And I minimize the hurt I have caused others. And especially, I minimize the multitude of ways and times I have willingly 
walked away from God. The good news of Jesus is good news about reconciliation with God and with others. And the reach of this good news knows no boundaries. It reaches far beyond what we may think or imagine. God's grace extends so far, it may even strike us as scandalous. You mean God even reconciles them? Thank God he does. Because we are them. If God's grace could be exhausted, if God's reconciling reach did have limits, then I would be in deep trouble. And you would be in deep trouble because we would be without hope. So our willingness to be reconcilers in our relationships is directly proportionate to our awareness of our own need for reconciliation and for grace. So I have to tell you, I, we have talked about this many times, and I have thought long and hard, how do we drive this home? Because I think this is key to living in the kingdom and to being in relationships where Christ is present. How to drive this home, how to make this clear. And here's what I've concluded. Words alone cannot do it. My words alone cannot do it. And most especially, sermon words cannot do it. So a few weeks back, maybe a month or so ago, Julie and I went to a banquet for those who volunteer at Juvenile Hall. Some of you know Rick and Chris Johnson have given leadership to a ministry called Adopt Award, where we're seeking to be present in the juvenile hall and be Jesus to people who desperately need him. And so we went to this banquet with Rick and Chris and Pat and Janet Gallagher. And we're sitting at this banquet, and they had a program to honor these volunteers. And there was an element in this program, and it stirred me to the core around this idea of reconciliation because it reminded me in ways I can't do it of God's long reconciling reach. And it reminded me of how inexhaustible His grace is. And it reminded me especially of how far God had to reach to reconcile me and how far He still has to reach to keep reconciling me. It reminded me that God never gives up on people no matter how far away they have walked. So who am I to give up? And I need to be reminded that I am them. And you are them. And to follow God is to follow his radical way into reconciliation. And this element in this program at this banquet brought this to the front of my soul in ways I've not had experience for a long time. So I'd like to invite up a new friend, and I'd like you to welcome Jerome Morgan. Good morning. Before I share my poem, Prison Walls, I just wanted to share a little bit. That was such a powerful sermon, and, and it really touched me. Um, just to give you a little background to, to this poetry, um, and you'll see some pictures on the wall. I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts, and um, I was born to a teenage mother. She was 15 years old, and God did something miraculous in me. But before that happened... That's a picture of me there, because God did something awesome in my life. I was surrounded by violence and drugs. This picture here was taken because my uncles decided to have some fun. They put a gun in my hand, put money in my hand. My life was destined for destruction. I was on the road to nowhere. I had been abused 
forsaken, left alone. I was hurting and in pain. My mom was just a baby herself, trying to raise a baby in the late 70s. I remember seeing my mom as a victim of domestic violence. And seeing this man beat on my mother caused so much pain in my soul. One day I was in kindergarten and I became violent towards one of my students, one of the students in the classroom. And the teacher took me and put me in the back room. And I remember just crying out to God. We weren't religious. We weren't spiritual. But I knew God existed. And I cried out to God for help. And on April 7th, 1985, we stepped into a building similar to this one. Except the church was in a hotel. And the preacher spoke about Jesus Christ dying on the cross for my sins. And that he rose from the dead. And that if I believed in him, I could be saved from my sin, from my problems. And that day, Jesus Christ saved my life. He turned me around, turned my mother around. And he gave me a purpose. He spoke to me and said, I want you to go to the juvenile halls and preach my love. The next picture. It's a picture of me and a young man in Juvenile Hall in Boston. I was broken and on my way to a destructive place. But God turned my life around and enabled me to put my arms around someone so that they too can be, begin to experience the love and power of God. So when I shared these prison walls, I I wrote this for them. But here I am on Sunday morning speaking to you. So there must be a purpose in this all. And so as I share this poem, these prison walls, my hope is that you hear my heart and hear my passion for the work of Jesus Christ. These walls cannot keep me down. Internal thoughts of the past can no longer last. To God's hand, I'm holding fast. And catch me gripping tight. I hope to fly into his grace and forever see his face if I die tonight. In my heart, I pray that like a soldier in a war, I can fight to live and love another day. Meanwhile, in these prison walls, I'm going to heed the call, standing tall, getting up every time I fall. Letting nothing hold me back. I'm going to keep it moving even though at times it may mean I'm going to have to crawl. Until I reach freedom and break away to his arms because God knows I need him. I need him like a day needs sunshine. Or like a thug needs a four or five catching lives and drive-bys. More than modified behavior. I need Jesus, my Savior, to renew my nature. To him I give my all. The only hope that I call behind these prison walls. From these walls, I can see your future bright. From these walls, I can see you win the fight. From these walls, I can see you reach the stars and go beyond the galaxy far from these prison walls. See, there's more to your story. More than state-ordered clothes and restraints on the concrete. And I know that you feel me. But your drama won't end until God gets the glory. I know you're mad that they bound you, but you were lost in your ways. I'm so glad that they found you instead of dead on the sidewalk with your blood and your brains laid out on the asphalt. And this is no excuse. It's just the honest truth. I see you're hurting because your dad wasn't there for you. But you're more than the pain that you feel on the inside. You cry. Here comes God to the rescue. And he came to save. For your soul to rest in peace long before your body even hits the grave. You're the one that he calls. Hear your name ring through the halls behind these prison walls. From these walls, I can see your future bright. From these walls, I can see you win the fight. From these walls, I can see you reach the stars and go beyond the galaxy far from these prison walls. See, prison, it's a state of mind. 
You could be free on the out, but locked up on the inside. Or you could be dressed to the T, iced with the cream with more dough than the bakery. But if you still fiend for the burner and long for revenge because your heart's full of murder, then God's love you never heard of. Your life's empty like a whopper with just cheese, no burger. <laughs> now think about the men with all the millions, stacking up their chips, dying hard to make the billions. But when they get it, why they still lost in their feelings? They either OD or end up jumping off of buildings. <laughs> but there's more hope for tomorrow. More sun from your rain, more joy from your sorrow, and you can have it all. Just trust God and go hard behind these prison walls. From these walls, I can see your future bright. From these walls, I can see you win the fight. From these walls, I can see you reach the stars and go beyond the galaxy far from these prison walls. From these walls, I can see your future bright. From these walls, I know you're going to win the fight. From these walls, I can see you reach the stars and go beyond the galaxy far into his precious arms. Can you see yourself? Let's pray together. Our Father, we are before you today as people who we have walls. We live in prison. We guard our hearts. We hold you back. We walk away. And we pray today that the power of what we have just heard and the soul from which it came would reach to the depths of our walls and begin to crumble them. That we might be people who recognize this is not a game. But that you have done something real through Jesus Christ. And as we lean into him and allow him, we can become someone that we cannot imagine. And so we continue to dedicate ourselves to walk the road, to follow even when following is hard. And we pray that your spirit will set us free. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you leave, may the reconciling power of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thanks for coming.